Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carroll. Though you may not realize that the ongoing threat of terrorism is affecting your life and that of your loved ones. Each week, Dr. Carroll analyzes the hottest topics in terror and helps you and your family reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. Public enemy number one, coronavirus or terrorism? Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist and a psychiatrist and someone with a degree in public health, which kind of relates to this topic today. Um, according to the World Health Organization, they have named coronavirus the number one public enemy. Would you rather be attacked by the coronavirus or a terrorist? Well, that's what we're going to be exploring today. There are a lot of similarities between the two. And then we'll get into their differences, you know, compare and contrast <laughs> coronavirus and terrorism. So let's talk first about, of all about the uh, similarities. Well, both these days, both coronavirus and terrorism um, create provoke terror. For example, the latest news today is that uh, New York City cabbies are avoiding Chinese neighborhoods because they are scared. Now, nothing much scares a New York City cabbie, and I can tell you that from personal experience, having been born and raised in New York and taken lots of New York cabbies. <laughs> Both are unpredictable, uh, you never know when a coronavirus is going to pop up and attack you, just like ter a terrorist. They're both potentially deadly. Um, ironically, another way of looking at it is the coronavirus is um, potentially a weapon of terrorism by China. And I'll get into that a little bit more later. I mean, there could be actually a... Um, um, not only a sim similarities, but there, it could become actually a weapon of terrorism. 99% um, about uh, of the coronavirus is stemming from China. Um, it's all pretty much um, stemming from China. And just like we think about the terrorism stemming primarily or 99%, same thing, from the Middle East. But both of these are a grave threat to the rest of the world. Another interesting uh, similarity that you might not have thought of is that they both have onward transmission. So in other words, even if someone has never been to China, especially to Wuhan, China, um, that you can, they could still get uh, the coronavirus, because someone who was in China 
could then have passed and who go, leaves China could then pass on the coronavirus to somebody else who had never been there. And similarly, if um, someone had never been in the Middle East in a training camp, there could be, they could have become radicalized or infected, you could say, over the internet. And then they transmit their terrorism to other people and perpetrate attacks. For both the coronavirus and terrorism, there is the aspect of xenophobia. Fear, confusion, and helplessness causes xenophobia. And stigma and prejudice and of course, these feelings, anti-Chinese um, and anti-Muslim feelings, respectively. And it's not even just Chinese, it's actually anti-Asians, you know, the, the stigma and the pre prejudice these days, because a lot of people uh, aren't able to tell one type of Asian from another. And in any case, um, there are a number of coronavirus cases in other Asian countries. Both of them, both the coronavirus and terrorism, there are lots of controversies about each, and I'll be talking about some of that today. They both involve spies, intrigue, disappearances, cover-ups. For the coronavirus, there have been some interesting um, cover-ups uh, and as I said, intrigue and so on. There was a Dr. Li Wenliang, who was the first doctor uh, to have recognized that there was a problem, that there was something um, that is, we now know is the coronavirus. He started seeing this. He was an ophthalmologist in a hospital in Wuhan, and he started seeing this uh, different special kind of respiratory disease in patients. And he originally sent, um, posted something about it online just to his medical school colleagues. And from there it went further, you know, of course it spread virally, the, the post, <laughs> as well as the virus. And Dr. Li Wenliang found himself um, um, captured in a sense by the government and accused of rumor mongering um, because they didn't want the communist Chinese didn't want this and, and China in general didn't want this information getting out about this virus. They already had had the experience with the SARS virus. They didn't want the world finding out that there was this scary thing happening in China. So Dr. Uh, Li Wenliang is ultimately, unfortunately, succumbed, caught the virus himself, the coronavirus, and succumbed to it. And it was not rumor mongering at all. Um, and then, of course, we had another Chinese um, man, not a doctor, but his name was Chen Kyushi. He was a citizen journalist. And you may have seen some of his photographs, like of body bags and so on, um, that he posted online. He was trying to tell the world how dangerous this was, how many people were getting sick, because we still aren't getting accurate counts of how many people actually are infected with the virus in China and or uh, dead from it. I mean, part of it is because it's hard to keep track of the numbers, especially since the numbers are rising and, you know, there are all these provinces and so on, uh, people who don't get to hospitals and aren't counted. 
So these are things that um, are similar between the two, the two enemies, public enemies. Um, now differences, you know, terrorism of, of course is caused by man, by hate, by religious fanaticism, by psychological problems uh, that cause, make the um, soon to become terrorist vulnerable to radicalization. And whereas the coronavirus uh, is caused in nature, uh, although, <laughs> although um, as I was saying, you know, although um, there are some conspiracy theories talking about it being um, a weapon of terrorism or a weapon of a weapon. And then also there are some reports that I'll tell you about where um, there, it may have begun not in the market, but in a government lab, not necessarily to be a weapon, but a lab that has bats where the terrorists, the terrorists, <laughs> the uh, coronavirus is thought to um, have come from one of the, one of the uh, hosts for the virus of, is, is thought to be bats. Of course, they were also saying for a while, I'm not sure if they're still thinking this, but um, for a while they were putting out the information that pangolins, which are scaly anteaters, are the number one host for um, the coronavirus in China. And of course, as you probably know, um, it, was, it, is, it has been thought to have come primarily from this market in Wuhan, um, where there were pangolins, I guess, and bats. Um, but all of the, you know, to be honest, I've read, I've been doing lots of research on this and tweeting about it and so on. Um, but, but actually, there is a lot of confused information coming out of China. Uh, for example, we, the figure, as I'm talking to you now, the figure is that there are over 69,000 people infected worldwide, again, most in China, and over 1,600 deaths um, worldwide, but again, most in China. But these numbers, by the time you're listening to this, you will probably, uh, it, it will have, it's increasing every minute. So um, that is, that's why I'm saying at least that much. Now, what's interesting is that um, this idea of it being public, of coronavirus being public enemy number one, is something that has been um, purported by the uh, World Health Organization Director General, and that's Tedros Ghebreyesus. Now, good old Tedros, <laughs> I'm actually, uh, I'm rather annoyed at the World Health Organization right now in regard to um, their handling of the coronavirus. I think maybe they're overcompensating now by calling it public enemy one, number one, but it's too little too late. Um, for a long time and for most likely political reasons, uh, the World Health Organization was poo-pooing um, the coronavirus. You know, not, not, they took them a long time to uh, claim as they are now just doing that it is such a um, serious threat to the world. Again, public enemy number one. And um, the World Health Organization director, I'll call him Tedros, um, he, he has an interesting background and um, which would kind of lead one to understand why he is now acknowledging 
um, that this is such a threat. You know, the biggest um, threat to the world um, is what he's saying. Now, um, I get, let's, let me take a break at this point. And when we come back, I will tell you about uh, Tedros Cabrasis and what, um, and his childhood and why he may now be saying, acknowledging that yes, indeed, coronavirus is public enemy number one. I, by the way, <laughs> in case it's not clear, um, I mean, yes, obviously the coronavirus is dangerous. We haven't seen the extent of its danger, but I would still call terrorism public enemy number one. So stay tuned and I will tell you more. Welcome back to the Terrorist Therapist Show where we're talking today about coronavirus and terrorism. Would you rather be attacked <laughs> by the coronavirus or a terrorist? And which one is, should be public enemy number one? Well, according to the head of the World Health Organization, he thinks it's the coronavirus, and I'll tell you why. Um, Tedros Ghebreyesus, the director general of WHO, was born in Ethiopia, in, a, in Tigray, Ethiopia, part of Ethiopia called Tigray. And when he was a child, he was most impacted psychologically and perhaps um, well, he became most aware of uh, the suffering caused by malaria where he was growing up. Perhaps uh, some relatives were sick with it. Um, in any case, seeing the suffering of people with malaria really impacted him. And he um, eventually went to London and he took various studies and degrees. He ultimately got a PhD in community health. And his dissertation was about the effects of dams on malaria transmission in Tigray, Ethiopia. So this was very personal to him. And um, now, of course, you know, he, so he specialized in infectious diseases. And now um, he is seeing the um, coronavirus, you know, it's reminding him of what he saw when he was a child and saw people suffering from malaria. Now, in Ethiopia, um, the, when he was a child, there wasn't as much of a threat from terrorism. There was, um, because Al-Shabaab that comes from Somalia, the Al-Shabaab terrorists that come from Somalia do go into Ethiopia nowadays, but this was primarily after um, he was a child. So that did not have as much of an impact on him as suffering from malaria. So that is why he is sort of um, affected in his views of seeing why he sees coronavirus as public enemy number one, greater than terrorism. So he has, there was a meeting and he, you know, he convened a, uh, um, a seminar and so on, a meeting of, of WHO and, and he's been calling on uh, countries all over the world to um, to try to um, share virus samples and speed up research into the drugs and vaccines. And he is hoping that the first vaccine could be ready in 18 months. Um, he is saying that uh, this virus is more powerful in creating political, economic, and social upheaval than any terrorist attack. Now, you know, it's all sort of relative. Um, 
but and it's and and really the answer isn't known yet until we see um, just how far coronavirus goes, and for that matter, how far terrorism goes. But right now, I think terrorism is winning in terms of public enemy number one. Now, he's also warning people that 60 to 80 percent of the world's population could be sickened by the virus. I mean, that's a lot. And obviously, uh, it's going to take a while um, for, well, well, just wait. I have more to tell you about this, but it, you could think that it might take a while to get the world, 60 to 80 percent of the world, affected by a terror attack. Um, but it could obviously eventually happen with that too. Um, he is asking the world to wake up and be aggr as aggressive as possible in tackling the coronavirus outbreak. Now that he named it, the World Health Organization named it COVID-19, CO for Corona, VI for virus, D for disease, and 19 for the year it emerged. Now that's, uh, you know, that is really um, saying something because China didn't want you to believe that it actually started in December 2019. Um, they only started admitting it in January of 2020. Um, they, they have made a, a big World Health Organization, went to great lengths to ensure that the name didn't refer to any particular geographical, geographical location, animal or group of people. Now, you know, the political reasons, um, political, they didn't, they didn't, they were, as I said earlier, it was too little too late, largely because of political reasons in terms of uh, acknowledging it. And, you know, so now they try to sort of make sure that the name doesn't refer to any, um, any particular location, animal or group of people. They don't want anybody to be, uh, uh, to be taboo, considered taboo. And that's similar to um, how calling radical Islamists, radical Islamists, you know, saying that terrorism comes from radical Islamists, which it does, um, is taboo too, or not PC. I was really grateful for President Trump in his um, State of the Union address using the words radical Islamist. You know, even though uh, for some people that's considered not PC, but you know, we're calling spades a spade um, or <laughs> radical Islamists. Um, then let's see, there are, um, you know, there, are, there have been already effects on the Chinese economy. Um, some companies have begun to lay off workers um, others say they're going to need loans to, and that could be billions of dollars if they're going to stay afloat. There is, um, of course, if businesses reopen, then there's more of a spread. And if they don't open, then there's fear of medical supplies running low. Um, of course, the suspension of flights is a double-edged sword. Um, you know, it was amazing how it was amazingly horrible how America at first said they were going to send one plane to pick up the Americans in Wuhan. Um, I mean, and they were going to make people to pay to be on the airplane. I mean, that was outrageous. And apparently they saw my tweet and they, and they changed their minds and took more people. Um, I'm not sure that they saw my tweet, but I'd like to think so. Um, 
And then top health officials in uh, the province that Wuhan is in have been fired because of their inefficient response to the crisis. Of course, they're sort of taking the fall. They aren't the only ones who's, uh, you know, who, where the responsibility or the problem rests. Um, it's too early to say that the epidemic is, is in decline, uh, of course. And of course, for those people who want to say that terrorism is in decline because, you know, we destroyed the caliphate and other reasons and because we killed some of the leaders, it's not in decline. They are not going away. And similarly, uh, coronavirus is not going away either yet. Um, and, you know, just like uh, terrorism and coronavirus, um, both just like fire have, can flare up, you know, when it seems like it's going away. Um, lo and behold, just like fire suddenly flares up from the ashes, um, the, the virus and terrorism can certainly do that as well. So let's see. Um, now, here's an interesting, I said I was going to tell you about conspiracy theories, uh, or uh, conspiracy theory or fact. Um, there is, uh, uh, there, it has just come out that some scientists in China believe that, um, well, actually, we're coming to the end of this segment. I'll, I'm going to leave you on a um, <laughs> on a cliffhanger, uh, cor coronavirus cliffhanger. There we go. Um, to see what has just come up in the news about some um, theory that is not the same as the fact that it came from the market in uh, Wuhan. So stay tuned. Welcome back. Today we're talking about who is public enemy number one, the coronavirus or terrorism? Uh, and then you can ask yourself, would you rather be attacked by the coronavirus or a terrorist? They're both potentially deadly. Um, and as I was talking about earlier, there are a lot of similarities between the two, uh, but then there are a lot of differences as well. So, in regard to this, one of the things, um, you know, for both terrorism and the coronavirus, there are things uh, going around conspiracy that you wonder whether they're conspiracy theories or facts. So um, it has just come out that some scientists in China are thinking that instead of the original theory um, of it coming from animals that were in the market in Wuhan, that maybe it comes from, or some think that it did come from, uh, a laboratory in Wuhan. There are two laboratories in particular, very near the market and very near the hospital where the first cases were discovered. And in, the, um, in these research centers, they are doing research on bats and respiratory diseases carried by the animals. So there are 605 um, disease-ridden animals in uh, the laboratories. Um, at, well, in particular at the, at the um, let's see, 
at the Wuhan Center for Disease Control. The other one is the Wuhan Institute of Virology. So the um, first one that I mentioned kept disease-ridden animals in laboratories, including 605 bats. Wow. <laughs> wow. I mean, you have to have, um, you know, in order to study things, you have to do research on animals and uh, sometimes on sick animals if you're trying to find a cure for something, obviously. But not, I'm not saying that they were, um, I mean, I don't know what these bats were doing in their laboratory, but one would think if they had respiratory diseases that the researchers were trying to find a cure for it. Uh, but it might have been something that is now known as the coronavirus or other illnesses as well. Uh, again, limited information is coming out from China. But in uh, these labs, there was at least one researcher who was attacked by a bat and the blood of the bat was on his skin. He was also um, found to have, or he also um, found on him urine of the bats. Now, of course, if you're gonna be handling bats, you will sometimes get their blood and their urine on you. That's just part of it. Um, now, what has been found is that the genome sequences, the genes sequences from patients with coronavirus were 96% or 89% identical to the bat coronavirus that was originally found in the horseshoe bat. And this, these scientists who are trying to say it came from the labs are saying that um, the only native bats are found 600 miles away from the market. And then they're saying that there's little to suggest the local populace eats the bats, but I don't think, I mean, otherwise, why would the market have the bats? Again, confusing. Um, the, the researcher who got the blood and the urine on him, I know very, very I hope you're not eating um, while you're listening to this. He put himself into quarantine for two weeks um, af after each of these, these bodily fluids got on him. So obviously he was concerned about it. Um, also, they discovered live ticks from a bat in this research facility. Um, and they are parasites known for their ability to pass infections through the host animal's blood. So in other words, for example, they, would, could, um, uh, they could get on the bat and uh, suck their blood and or bite them and then be able to transmit it to presumably a person. Um, anyhow, so just like with terrorism, there are all of these different kinds of theories and there's, since there's all this fear, there is, um, you know, there is, uh, everybody's trying to grasp at, trying to figure out what is really going on, just like we still are doing in regard to terrorism. Uh, there's always changing things to find out about terrorism. So, um, in, again, looking at the idea, you know, like the World Health Organization was saying how much of the world population could be killed or, or disease, become infected, if not killed, um, but become infected with the coronavirus. Um, kind of in line with that, again, comparing the two, Syria 
has just been warning about terrorists, the possibility of terrorists getting their hands on nuclear weapons as the war in Syria gets worse and everything is sort of um, loosely protected and out of control and chaos, there is more of a chance of terrorists getting their hands on nuclear weapons. And needless to say, they would be able to attack, they would be able to use these nuclear weapons to attach huge, attack huge numbers of people at a time. So, you know, similar to spreading of the virus again. Um, the, um, you know, Syria, the, the Syria's representative to the UN, the UN's International Atomic Energy Agency was just telling them this about how there's this increasing danger of terrorists being able to lay their hands on nuclear weapons in Syria and um, radioactive material, uh, nuclear or radioactive material because of, because of how, you know, things are so chaotic and, and it's hard to protect these kinds of things. Now, on the other side, just like we're trying to develop vaccines to um, fight against coronavirus, um, the U.S. military is trying to develop things to fight against terrorism, you know, counterterrorism um, uh, organizations and, and research is trying to find new things to counter terrorism. So this is the latest thing, and this is a really amazing. Um, the, there, the, US ha, has, the U.S. military has developed a laser that can identify terrorists by scanning their heartbeat from hundreds of feet away. Now, if this seems like sci-fi to you, uh, you will love that they call this laser Jetson after the popular sci-fi cartoon family, you know, the Jetsons. Um, and this is a, a laser that can pick a terrorist out from a crowd by scanning their heartbeat. And this is how it works. First, an invisible laser measures a unique heartbeat through vibrations caused by the beating heart. So they point the laser gun at, at a crowd and the, to look for the terrorists that they're particularly looking for, and, um, and it measures the heartbeat. Then this uh, result is cross-checked with a database of heartbeats, and sometimes they compare this to facial recognition as well. And then if the target, you know, the, the, the major terrorist, the terrorist leader who we're trying to target um, is confirmed, then the US military can shoot without the risk of killing the wrong person. Now, presumably this can be used when it's a bunch of terrorists and they're looking for the, you know, the particular one that they're looking for, or I guess theoretically it could be used anywhere in a crowd, you know, in uh, a crowd at political um, political gatherings or malls or uh, Times Square. Um, and it is um, then after the, the person that they're looking for is the terrorist is identified, then they can be taken out with a drone strike or a sniper. One would hope they wouldn't do a drone strike in Times Square, but... <laughs> 
Um, so this has been developed by the Pentagon and it is going to be given when it's finished being developed, it's going to be given to the special forces troops. And um, they are, they've been uh, working on it and the prototypes have been able to work at distances up to 650 feet, but the final version is going to have a greater range. Now, the way that it works, it is that like fingerprints, our heartbeats are unique to each of us. And that's how it's able to work by identifying the unique heartbeat. And um, then there's an algorithm that translates the, these beats of the heartbeat into a unique cardiac signature, just like our, our uh, fingerprint. And um, so bottom line, moral of the story for terrorists is um, don't um, get an EKG <laughs> or don't go to a doctor and get your heart, uh, any kind of rec record of your heartbeat or else you're going to be in greater trouble. Now, um, currently the special forces use facial recognition scans or gait analysis, which tracks how people walk because everybody walks a little differently. And so that's how they spot terrorists, known terrorists at a distance. I mean, obviously they need to know how, what a person's face looks like or what their gait is like if they're going to be targeting them. But the difference is that a person, a terrorist can change their gait or disguise their face to avoid detection, whereas they can't really do that with their cardiac signature. Um, so that is what we, you know, that seems to be, um, we don't know which is gonna come first, this being able to put this prototype of the cardiac signature into use or the vaccine for the coronavirus. But I guess you could feel somewhat comforted by knowing that there are people right now trying to protect you, whether it is with a coronavirus vaccine or all of these different ways to find terrorists. Thank you for listening to the Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist. If you would like to find out more about terrorism from me, your terrorist therapist, visit my website, terroristtherapist.com. And if you're a parent or teacher and want to build stronger nests for your kids to become more resilient, check out my new award-winning book, Lions and Tigers and Terrorists, Oh My, How to Protect Your Child in a Time of Terror. It's the first and only book about terrorism for kids. You can find it wherever books are sold or directly from the publisher at terrorismforkids.com. Terrorism, the number four, kids.com. I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist. Thank you for listening to The Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carol. We hope listening to the show has made you feel calmer, more resilient, and more able to reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. You can also check out past shows on Renegade Talk Archives for more insights.